this is for professional and institutional clients only. Infrastructure is not a sector where you're seeing distressed sales or or people you know, really needing to be forced to sell. So you are still seeing good outcomes for both sides, but absolutely on the buy side, for those that have capital, there are ways to accelerate a process or to get some level of conviction that perhaps was harder to do. You had less leverage a few years ago. Welcome to the Igneo Infrastructure Partners podcast, Keeping It Real Assets. In this series, you will hear from the Igneo investment team in conversation with the leaders of our global infrastructure businesses. We will shine a light on how they operate and their approach to the challenges of an ever-changing world. We hope that you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to Igneo's latest installment of our podcast, Keeping It Real Assets. My name is Hamish Lee Wilson and I'm a partner in the European team. I am joined today by Ali Kazmi, who is a partner at Rothschild & Co and is Global Co-Head of Infrastructure Advisory. Given you don't only work for Igneo, you advise lots of people in the market and frankly one of the biggest and uh, busiest advisors around. What's going on in the market today? It's an interesting market, and it's clearly very different to where we were three, four years ago. Fundamentally, there's a change in macro, which I think was where you have to start from. We're in a very different rate environment to where we were two years ago. And clearly, that's had an impact on infrastructure because we benefited, I think, from very low interest rates, from fundraising that occurred during that environment, and also from very cheap debt. I think to a certain extent, a number of those have moved the other direction. Having said that, I think the sector is actually more robust than we see in other sectors in PE, et cetera. And I think that's a function of two things. One is there is still dry powder there. There is still the ability to fundraise, whereas I think in PE it's certainly harder. Of course, it's harder in infrastructure. But also the underlying performance of assets are still generally good in the infrastructure sector, which allows for some activity. But I think it's fair to say, I'm sure if you speak to any advisor, they will say that activity is significantly lower than it was, say, two years ago. And what we're seeing in processes, both on the equity, M&A and debt side, is different to what we were seeing two years ago. Is that just fewer deals getting done or the ones that are happening, are they happening in a different way? Or what do you see in the processes that you're involved with in at the moment? There are fewer transactions currently. We saw when the macro shift initially occurred, I think we saw some failed transactions. There were a couple of, particularly in the continent, there were a number of transactions that just didn't get done because valuation expectations weren't met. I think we're seeing less of that now. The transactions are absolutely happening. But I think it is fair to say the dynamics on the sell side are different to what they were before. I still think you can get good results. You know, we've done a lot of sell sides in the last 12 months where the results have still been good. But frankly, you end up in a very narrow field very quickly. And I think that's because... On the buy side, investors that have money, that's a scarce commodity or scarcer commodity than it was before. And if you have that dry powder and are willing to deploy, you're going to be more careful with how you deploy it. And you're either going to deploy it through, for example, platforms that you have, because you feel you have an angle through an existing platform, or you're going to deploy where you have a real line of sight of actually winning a transaction. So as a result of that, I think on the sell side, you have to be more nuanced and effectively run more bespoke processes. Infrastructure is not a sector where you're seeing distressed sales or, or people you know, really needing to be forced to sell. So you are still seeing 
good outcomes for both sides, but absolutely on the buy side, for those that have capital, there are ways to accelerate a process or to get some level of conviction that perhaps was harder to do. You had less leverage a few years ago. How have you seen returns develop in the market over the last 12 to 24 months? There's three aspects to returns and valuation, because ultimately that's what it comes to. The first is debt costs. So ultimately, we are seeing debt costs being passed through. There's no way around hiding the fact that interest rates have gone up significantly, and that's going to be passed through to debt. So we're seeing investors pass that through. So that naturally has some type of drag or plateauing on on valuation. I think then on returns, it's difficult to divorce returns from business plans. Because ultimately, you could either bid on a very low return and a very conservative business plan. You could bid on a low return and an aggressive business plan or vice versa. So I think it's difficult to divorce the two. Having said that, there is a widening of returns generally. And I think in some cases, it's harder now to try and get that value back from being very aggressive with business plans. ICs are taking a view in what I've seen that actually we want to be very careful about the business plan that we're underwriting particularly where there's retail-facing parts of the business plan. And that's more relevant as you go into the more core plus plus or the value-add side of infrastructure. And a real question around how much of this can you pass through to customers? What is the real growth here, et cetera? So I think overall, if people were expecting the macro shift to lead to a 3% increase in returns or 4% increase, no, that's just not happening. But I think we are seeing about a percent, percent and a half increase in returns. That's more prevalent at the super core end of infrastructure. So regulated networks and highly contracted businesses. Exactly. So the super core size, so regulated networks, highly contracted, PFI, et cetera, I think there's a widening returns. Having said that, those businesses also benefit from inflation. So actually, when you look for a pound-for-pound valuation impact, inflation can often compensate for the return expansion there. And then I think as you move towards core plus, which are more either consumer-facing businesses or where there is more risk on the underlying business, perhaps more growth, sectors that are less familiar to what we used to call traditional infrastructure. I do feel we're getting to the top of the interest rate cycle. And I think that goes hand in hand with where governments and central banks believe the inflation cycle is coming to. So I do think we're probably seeing inflation falling. and We are seeing inflation falling. I don't think it's going to fall as quickly as people expected. So I do think inflation is going to be here for longer. But I think economically, it's very difficult for central banks to continue to raise interest rates, cost of living crisis, etc. I suspect inflation will stay in the system a bit longer because I think a lot of the inflation issues are supply side problems. We could spend this whole podcast talking about my view in economics. But I think, for example, in the UK, the Bank of England, I feel, was slightly asleep at the wheel. They lived off low interest rates and free money for a very long time, which led to effectively a slightly more inefficient economy and didn't stimulate growth or supply side growth. I think that's actually the issue with inflation. And we're going to see that inflation stay in the system. In some ways, that's great for infrastructure. If we have falling interest rates in the future, but inflation still stays in the system. It's good for valuations. It's definitely good for our portfolio that is leading in that direction in terms of the, the inflation exposure. I think a lot of investors are saying to us, we're keen to add more inflation exposure to our portfolio. It's a big drive. It's also why in infrastructure, we are still getting decent valuations because a lot of these businesses are robust and linked to inflation. And I think those portfolios that have an inflation linkage currently are the ones that are going to certainly show greater returns. And you mentioned debt markets. There has been a massive shift with three, four, five hundred basis point movement in the cost of debt over the course of the last two years. How do you think the infrastructure space has dealt with that? 
you mentioned earlier on that you've not seen any forced sellers. Have we seen the effects of that increase in the cost of debt come through into the market yet? Absolutely. I think ultimately, we spoke about inflation before. So some of the reason why we've not seen forced sell, et cetera, to a certain extent in infra is because the top line has been growing. Some of that's because of inflation. So that certainly helps when it comes to servicing your debts. Yeah, clearly, if that's a big generalization, I'm sure you can find scenarios where there are businesses that are finding it harder and find it more difficult to adapt to the higher interest rate environment. But before we go into that, on a more generic perspective, the infrastructure market has always had a slightly different debt market to PE. Our PE cousins have always used the LBO market, the higher bond market. And for a significant period of time, the higher bond market was shut completely. They just had no access to liquidity, had no access to capital. The LBO market was incredibly expensive. So I think from an infrastructure debt perspective, we have a separate bank group. I mean, there might be similar names, but we have a separate set of bankers who lend to infrastructure. We also have the advantage of having institutional investors in infrastructure, and they still have money. They have dry powder. So actually, I think from an access to capital perspective, infrastructure hasn't had the same issues that other sectors have had. The margins on debt haven't really expanded that much. So whether it's an institutional investor, whether it's a bank, particularly for infrastructure capital structures that are investment grade or pseudo investment grade or crossover between investment grade and sub-investment grade, the proxy is looking at where the bond margins are. And actually bond margins haven't really expanded that much. They've been pretty stable. What has obviously gone up is the all-in cost because rates have gone up. There's no way around that. We are seeing investors, you just have to price it in if you're making an acquisition. Obviously, businesses that have portable debt have a big advantage from that perspective. But in terms of existing assets which need a refinancing, sure, there's been a lot of scrutiny of that. Certainly, our debt business has been incredibly busy because people are, um, investors are looking to lock in liquidity while it's there. And I think on the lending side, it's very subsector specific. So there are some sectors which is very difficult to raise money in right now. It, it's no surprise to anyone, but very aggressive greenfield fiber businesses, for example, in the UK, et cetera, that's proving harder to finance currently because banks have done a lot of that, a lot of exposure on the balance sheet, the business plans are to be proven out. But on the other hand, if you had a regulated asset, for example, underwriters are still very prevalent there. We're seeing lenders being active in the airport space. We're doing a lot in airports. So, so those transport assets that were heavily hit during COVID, actually, you can finance those well in the current market. So I think overall, infrastructure has been somewhat insulated. It's impossible to be insulated from the underlying rate increase, but the access to capital is still there, save for it's certainly harder in some subsectors. Yeah. I think our experience reflects that, especially because we tend to focus on the lower risk, more core, core plus end of the infrastructure spectrum. We've never failed to raise capital for an acquisition, even at the height of COVID when we raised a debt package to acquire MVV. We could still access that capital on a, an underwrite basis for, I think that was about 400 million euro tranche. So that flight to quality is definitely real. I agree with that. Uh, the more you go up the kind of risk spectrum, core plus, core plus plus, whatever you want to call it, it is harder. And I think you are probably slightly more relying on the institutions and the credit funds versus the banks. Because I think banks are, certainly preferring to focus on what they've traditionally lent to. They prefer to go to credit committees to assets that they see as being more on the core-to-core plus space. And moving away from debts on the equity side, how have you seen the development of different sectors in the market? Do you see some areas that are very busy and full of opportunities or where are you spending most of your time? I would say actually our pipeline has, or the way we see the pipeline, has gone from being very super core in the last couple of years, been a lot of super core activity, we're seeing 
a lot more activity in the core to core plus space currently. And I think that's two or threefold. That is a function slightly of if you've got a super core asset, would you really sell right now? You probably wait and see how the macro is settling out. And having said that, they're still very scarce assets. So I think when they do come to market, people will be very keen actually because the scarcity factors is significant to the valuation of those businesses. But we're seeing a lot more in the kind of more traditional core to core plus space. Still quite a lot of digital infrastructure. I think what happened post COVID is a lot of investors realized they were short digital infrastructure in their portfolio. I think now there is more scrutiny on which type of digital infrastructure asset to go for. There's been a huge amount of towers, but a lot of activities slow down now. There's still some fiber data centers are now coming into view as well. Transport, interestingly, we're seeing a lot more in transport and transport related businesses. So this is, you can call it social transport, you can call it energy transition transport. Maybe the other area also is actually a number of PE assets who are looking to sell to infra. So these are PE assets that are more de-risked now. We have a ferry business, for example, that we're selling that's from PE. And because infra is still that much more active than PE, where PE have de-risked assets that are more akin to an infrastructure strategy, that's where we're seeing activity as well. So I think there's more happening in the kind of core to core plus space. Large deals are trickier right now, very large transactions, if I'm being honest. There have been some huge transactions, you know, things like Vantage Towers that we helped on early in the year, some real big super core transactions. They are just tricky. People haven't got the appetite right now to write massive checks. They're not particularly competitive because there are so few people who can participate in them. I think that's right. And we are seeing more consortia being formed as well. It's almost like we're feeling on the equity side, a little bit going back 10, 12 years, where there's more consortia. It's actually some of the more familiar names that seem to be transacting, the more familiar GPs. And I think that's also a function of, in processes, sellers want to feel comforted as to who's on the other side. And they want to ensure that the other side is credible, has the capital, etc. Hence why you're probably seeing the same names actually transacting. And to a certain extent, where there's a large check, or yeah, perhaps even a few years ago, what wasn't considered a super large check, but something that's now considered larger, you're seeing some consortia being formed as well. I think the underwrite model on the equity side is certainly becoming harder. You'll have a view more than I, but I think underwriting is becoming more tricky. People want to actually know they've got the equity lined up when they make a bid as opposed to underwriting and then syndicating later. Do you see any difference in the market space around deal size and appetite there? Comparing the mid-market space where we tend to play, which is sort of three to 600 million euro equity ticket to the, the jumbo billion plus. Actually, there have been a few very large transactions recently, but do you see some different dynamics there? The market, I mean, even before we come on to what's happened the last 12 to 18 months, there's certainly been a shift in the market where a lot of funds have continued to grow and the next fundraiser is bigger than the previous fundraiser, et cetera. And so you've seen a significant number of what I call jumbo funds, you know, really large flagship funds, big GPs. And clearly for them, they are focusing on, on deploying in the larger check size because just from a portfolio management perspective, it doesn't make sense to have 30 assets in their portfolio. You then also have some of the you know, first-time type fundraisers a few years ago who were focusing much more on the smaller end of deals. And actually what that left was, there are fewer players, I think, today, funnily enough, in the mid-market space than they were a few years ago because there's almost this polarization. And you're seeing strategies such as clean funds or climate funds, tech funds, et cetera, which are going smaller. You're seeing the jumbo funds going massive. And then that leaves that gap in the middle where I think currently there probably is there's less investors focusing on it 
I guess the question I've got is, will some of the bigger players go down a bit because of the market that we're in? But I think generally on the mid-market side, I would certainly say they're less investors there with dry powder than they were a few years ago. I think it's interesting that some of the funds that have grown into those bigger 10, 15, 20 billion fund sizes have actually launched separate strategies to target the mid-market. It's, I think, the best demonstration that there's really good value and opportunities in that. I think there is. And I think what we find interesting about the mid-market is you can take some of these businesses and you can grow them. To be fair, I think Ignio have shown, and some of your peers have shown that that's what you can do. You can take something that's mid-market and actually a few bolt-ons later, some organic growth, CapEx through your platform and portfolio, suddenly that becomes a rather large exposure. And it surprises us when we come to trying to sell it or on the other side, we're like, wow, we hadn't realized just how much this business has grown. I think ultimately, you'll be better positioned than I to comment on this, but I suspect you can often get better returns by growing a business through a platform than necessarily paying for the size in the first place. Yeah, I think we definitely see that. But for now that you've helped us finance in the past and on various transactions, the value that we've achieved on the subsequent bolt-on deals have all been in excess of the original. And the smartest investors then also use that platform to their benefit from a cap structure perspective as well. That's what we found. You actually, again, 10 years ago, cap structure was, I wouldn't say less relevant, but people weren't thinking. There's a lot of creative stuff around swaps, et cetera, which ultimately became quite difficult for investors later on because you have to repay those swaps of the mark on those swaps eventually, and you're, you're missing on the upside. What we're finding now, though, is actually there's a lot of value to be had by just thinking strategically around your capital structure, including if you have a platform, how do you best put a cap structure in place, the platform? How does that allow for additional You're talking debt? about debt here. You're talking about the debt structure. Correct. Yeah, yeah the debt, exactly. On the debt structure side, I think investors who have really focused on thinking about debt strategy and how to properly finance and capitalize their businesses have shown great results as well, particularly in a market like this. It's a fine line or it's something that we think about and discuss a lot is it's great to grow those platforms over time, but at what point do they become too big for the exit? Yes. Because you don't want to be in that situation where there are a few buyers to sell to. There's a sweet spot in between, but it's a tricky one. I think all investors go through that because the spreadsheet says you grow the business and the value goes up and it's great returns, but of course you have to exit it. Fundamentally, the public market, because the way PE get around this is they can offer IPO businesses, but the reality is the private market and infrastructure is always going to give you a better valuation than the public market. And a lot of our businesses aren't necessarily suited for the IPO market. So you're absolutely right. We say this a lot from the Rothschild and Co. side. We're always saying to our clients, just think about the exit, how you're going to exit. But what I would say, Hamish, is that there's been a big increase in minority transactions. So we're seeing a lot more in the minority transaction space. Obviously, the subset of investors are willing to do minorities, but it's certainly part of the market that has grown. And the governance related to that, the ability to do a minority transaction has certainly improved than where we were five years ago. And so you may find that actually as a platform grows, investors will start bringing minority partners in to help de-risk their position, but also help the ultimate exit because the check size or the future full sale will be smaller. And I think the minority market and infrastructure is, is certainly there for the right business. So we've spoken about sectors. What about geographies? I know you have a global role, but just focused on Europe for this discussion. Do you see any pockets of real activity or areas where you guys are not so focused on? Nordics remain quite busy. Probably not quite the hotbed of activity that there was a few years ago, but it remains active. And certainly it's a geography that a lot of investors are keen on. So I think that remains active. I say UK currently is an acquired taste. Regulated assets in the UK 
some investors are okay with that. Some investors are shying away. But generally, there'll always be activity in the UK and the UK activity is there, save even the kind of political environment we're in. I don't think it's really impacted the interest in UK assets. I think absolutely UK is still there for investors to invest in and it's essential to that. Southern Europe is certainly quieter. Previously, in the last few years, actually, Italy's been very busy. Spain has previously been incredibly busy, particularly in digital infrastructure. I think part of that is some of the digital infrastructure that's occurred in Spain has now kind of happened. But I would say both Italy and Spain we're seeing is quieter. Southern Europe is generally quieter at the moment from an activity perspective. Certainly France and the Benelux region, there's still activity there. We're seeing a lot more activity in Belgium and Netherlands than we've seen before. So I would say in some ways, Nordics, UK, Northern Europe is still pretty active. I say Southern Europe is quieter right now. It's hard to know if that's just a function of some of that deal run has already happened versus debt markets are harder there, et cetera. And we're seeing in Germany after probably, I guess, looking back over the last decade or so, between years one to five, there wasn't very much activity there, certainly for us. But really in the last five years, there's been a huge number of opportunity. Germany's really picked up across all subsectors, transport, digital, regulated assets as well. Interestingly, Eastern Europe, it's not a flood of activity, but there's still a couple of deals a year from Eastern Europe. I think the current macro probably makes it harder for some investors to look at Eastern Europe. But you know, certainly, I would say if you have a five-year view on it, there are certain countries in Eastern Europe that I think will remain of interest to our investor base, and increasingly so. And what do you see in terms of market participants? There's GPs, general partners like Ignio. We've seen directs over the course of the last decade. There have been lots of new entrants coming into the market. How have you seen the last few years impact those sort of three buckets of new entrants, established managers and direct investors, which includes pension funds and insurance companies? I think in the current market, a general comment is fundraising has been trickier and tougher. You can see that in the stats and we're hearing that anecdotally from all our GP clients. Fundraising is still occurring and there seems to be some thawing at the moment, but certainly fundraising is harder. I think as a result of that, if you're a first-time manager or an early-stage manager in the current market, it's very tricky, certainly tricky for you. However, there are some strategies that I think still will be able to raise. For example, climate or transition, energy transition-focused strategies, maybe digital as well. You can still raise money there, even as a first-time investor. But generally, fundraising is clearly tougher. I think the pension and insurance direct money is, is kind of here to stay. There will be some pension funds will have different levels of allocation year on year to infrastructure. Some are reaching different levels of maturity. That's very name by name and specific to each of them. But I think certainly as investors, they'll still be around. I think you'll probably see some more recycling of capital from some of those direct investors because they've been in deployment stage. And as they get towards maturation and before they get increased allocations to infra strategies, they may want to show some recycling capital. So we've seen a little bit of that from some of the direct investor base, but they're still there. I think though there's room for both, right? Insurance, pension, and GPs, particularly as we mentioned that very large deals are difficult to do single-handedly at the moment. And I've said, we've seen consortia again. So there's no real reason why, again, you can't have GPs alongside direct investors. And I think ultimately a lot of these direct investors are still LPs to some of the GPs as well. So co-invest opportunities or partnering up, I think that's still here. That's a dynamic that's going to hang around and not going to change. How do you see the next year or so? What's going to happen in the market? We sit down in a year again. I'm quite optimistic, but I'm an optimistic person, as you know. So <laughs> Good Southside banker. <laughs> exactly. We're seeing signs of activity picking up. Activity certainly hasn't dried up this year. It's been slower. 
like I said, but we've still got transactions done. And I think there are signs of, ultimately, we want to do transactions. And there is money out there to deploy. I think what's happened a year ago when the macro shift first occurred, investors on the buy side were nervous. They were passing through all the debt costs into their spreadsheets. Maybe they were increasing returns a bit more than perhaps where they are now in anticipation of what might happen. And there was a bit of a gap, is a reality, say a year ago, for some of those failed transactions. You roll forward two years, which will be next year, those businesses are still growing fine. So your top line, EBITDA, is still growing very well. You're going to see a stabilization in the market generally. Interest costs are probably actually going to, I think, might, might come down a bit. So you'll have a benefit from that. IRRs are stabilizing and they haven't really shifted out a huge amount. We've spoken about it's ultimately in a multi-billion transaction. It's shifted out a bit. So you'll suddenly find that, yeah, you may not have quite the record-breaking multiple that you could have got two years ago, but actually the value which people are offering to pay, particularly given the roll forward of the EBITDA growth, because these businesses are fundamentally performing well, are fundamentally inflation-linked, you know, from a return perspective, sellers are going to get very good returns still. So I think that thawing of the market will occur naturally with the passing of time. So I think we're going to see that. It feels to me that investors are, again, really much more in deployment mode. There's been a year of consolidation, thinking about their assets, a lot of asset management in the last 12 months. I think the next 12 months, investors will be wanting to spend again. And I think there are some subsectors. We mentioned regulated assets, for example. For certain regulated assets where there's significant growth, there's just been no activity at all. So something in electricity, et cetera, was to come to the market in any region, you could see significant interest because it's a scarce asset. There's growth to go after and those businesses haven't really come to market for the last 18 months or so. And the investment requirement's still there. Yes. You know, we need to decarbonize. We need to build more renewables. We need to more digital infrastructure. It's the impediment to invest. I don't think we've spoken enough about energy transition on this podcast, perhaps as for a future one, but I think there is so much capital need and CapEx need for any business. And the great thing about energy transition is, is one, it's going to impact all the businesses that are in your portfolio, that are in future assets that you acquire. No one is 100% sure exactly which exact direction is going to go in. What we do know is going to need funding and there's going to be a huge amount of growth in these businesses. That's going to lead to a lot of activity, in my view. And secondly, there will almost be a new subsector. A few years ago, we didn't really have digital infrastructure beyond towers. No one was investing in fiber. You can forget data centers. That's a huge subsector in itself. That's going to happen with an energy transition. Clearly, you've already got assets like that in your portfolio. And so you're quite well placed, I think, to grow those or to do tangential investments from those platforms. But I think that's going to lead to a lot of growth in infrastructure and then digitization as well. Um, and actually, once you apply that to other subsectors that perhaps are not seen as infrastructure today, but will be in the future, there is actually quite a large spectrum of transactions potentially in the next five years. Plenty to keep us both busy and both of our organizations busy for years to come. I hope so. And look, every year as a banker, we're always thinking, oh, the next year is going to be tough and activity always occurs. And I think this is a market where we're feeling going into this year, I think everyone's feeling nervous. And going into next year, there's some renewed optimism. Excellent. Ali, thank you very much for your time. Very interesting chat. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Real Assets, the Igneo Infrastructure Partners podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen to more by following Igneo Infrastructure Partners on your favourite podcast platform. If you'd like to find out more about Igneo Infrastructure Partners, you can visit our website at igneoip.com.
This podcast series was produced by Mark Gardner at OX4 Sound Studio. This podcast is not a financial promotion and has been prepared for general information purposes only. It is not intended to be investment or financial advice and does not take into account the specific investment objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. References to specific securities should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell such securities. Investment vehicles managed by Igneo Infrastructure Partners are only available to institutional investors, professional investors, qualified investors and wholesale clients. They are not available to retail clients, the general public, private customers, or any persons in any jurisdiction in which their distribution is not authorised. Igneo Infrastructure Partners is an unlisted infrastructure asset management business and is part of the First Sentier Investors Group. We communicate and conduct business through different legal entities in different locations. Please refer to the notes section of the podcast platform you use for more information on Igneo Infrastructure Partners in your region. For Singapore only, the podcast should be used in accordance with the applicable laws in Singapore. In Singapore, the podcast is issued by First Centier Investors Singapore, whose company registration number is 19690420D. This advertisement or material has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore, First Centia Investors Registration Number 53236800B and Igneo Infrastructure Partners Registration Number 53447928J are business divisions of First Centia Investors Singapore.